Welcome back to the Silent Plus Podcast. My name is Josh Walker, and across the table from me is... John Nicholson. Man, John, it is... I, I lost count. Of it's been a while. It's been, uh, it's been a Just long time. Just stuff. Yep. Uh, it really hasn't been any one particular thing that's kind of dominated our time. It's been... On Tuesdays is usually when we try right. to record, and our Tuesdays have just been crazy lately. And it, and usually if it's not on a Tuesday, it's hard to find time yeah, the rest of the week. Kind of catch catch. Right, and uh, so we've been just kind of hit or miss, and been more miss than hit. <laughs> right, uh, and so we'll see if today's a hit or miss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure, because of the potential controversial nature of this discussion we haven't just been avoiding it i promise but uh, it would be one of those that would be uh it, it has the potential to be uh, an interesting conversation to say the least and so we're we're, we're gonna dive on in sure and so again we are going through the questions that people have sent in and we've dealt with several of them church attendance uh church architecture sure uh, stuff about the Bible, you know, how does it all fit together? How how can we study it more closely? And uh, other really great questions. And this one was one that was just one that John and I just kept saying we need a little more time to to get our thoughts together. And I don't know if all of our thoughts are together just yet. No, we had some thoughts. We just wanted to be sure that we had some clarity about how to say some of those things. Yes, yeah. and uh, I, I will say. Well, let me just read the questions. Read the questions. Then, then we'll go into some of that stuff. All right, here we got two questions that are very similar. Don't know if it's by the same person sure. or if these two people talked and was like, hey, we need to <laughs> bombard the pastors with this. It's not bombarding. I'm just joking. But we do we did get two questions that are very similar. And the first one goes like this. Is God a misogynist? Why are women treated so differently? I don't think that's what Jesus intended, is it? And then the second one says... How are women intended to be treated based on biblical standards? Are women considered less than men? Or has the world distorted what Jesus intended in this area? Hmm. Great questions. I, these are important questions. Uh, they're relevant questions. These are uh, kind of a hot topic in theological debate. Absolutely, today. they are. Uh, and I think has been for some time, but... There's been a renewed interest over the past few months right? Um, in the circles that I follow. Again, it is. It's an incredibly important question for us and one that has raised some levels of discomfort, but also some, some levels of a pretty sharp disagreement. I follow some conversations on Twitter, and, and this is a pretty hot topic uh, amongst folks who are sorting out some theological issues. I don't want to say that it's not important. I think it is vitally important. But to the, I think it's the second question that was there. Are women treated differently or, or does God have a lower opinion of them and that sort of thing? Uh, I think biblically that there's an incredibly strong case that is made that women are, well, first of all, just to reach back to creation, the creation of woman is the crowning moment of creation. She's the yeah. the final thing and it's where Adam breaks into poetry. Uh, you know, finally, you know, here's here's my other you know, the other part of me that I've that's been yeah. missing. Uh, so, you know, from the from the outset, I think scripture uh, elevates the role of which from an ancient document is pretty astonishing. Yeah. Uh, given the, the the world context that we're aware of historically I mean, women were largely considered property. Um, you know, 
through Roman times and, and those kinds of things. Um, and so for the, the foundational moment, if you will, in Hebrew Scripture, that here is this here is woman being placed in this crowning moment, this crowning yeah. place uh, in creation. And, and I think for me, and I, I think this is a place that we need to begin crafting this conversation, is that there is a sharp divide that happens from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3. Genesis 2, man, woman, it's not man on top and woman below, or, you know, and it's not woman on top and man below. They are, they are co-equals. They are, they're different, and that should be celebrated, and that's a whole other cultural conversation we can have today. So you say, how dare today. you call them man and woman? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, a, that's another conversation for another day, dear friends. But they are, there's no distinction. Paul picks this up in one of his letters and says there's no longer Jew or Greek, male or female. You know, it, it's a restoration, if you will, of that pre-fall moment. And I, I've made the point, and I maybe make too much of the point, that in Genesis 2, Adam is tasked with naming the animals. It's not until Genesis 3, after the fall, that he names Eve. And I think there's significance there because naming is a uh, it's a role of, of dominion. It's a role of, uh, you know, I have authority over this. I name my dog. It is my dog, you know. Um, and in a sense, there is that picture that it, that is really pretty vividly and vivid, pretty bright when you look at that, that that's where all of that, after the fall, these relational issues and these, how do we come to grips with this as men and women now? And this misogyny enters in because of sin. It's not part of God's original order. Fast forward that to the creation. I think you have utilized the term eighth-day people. Yeah. That's who we are in Christ. I really like that, and I think there's a wonderful application of that here with the role of women in our modern-day church. Um, you know, it, it's not, it should not be, I don't think, um, you know, this uh, subservient sort of thing. Y'all sit over there in the corner and you be quiet, uh, which is the case in some circles. Um, I don't think that's the intent, and I don't think it reflects the biblical picture of this there, and we'll unpack some of that. I've, I've talked a lot. I've, I've set the stage. It's your turn. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, a lot of this, if we're thinking Old Testament, we're going to get to the New Testament in just a second. Right. But uh, a lot of concerns, if you will, uh, come from Old Testament law. Yeah. And there's a just a lot of stuff there that we don't have time to unpack every single law that deals with women. But just a broad overview, we can look at the the law of the Old Testament and compare it with the laws around them in the ancient Near East of that time. And the dignity yes. that the Old Testament law places on women is far and above what you see elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, it, even some of the ones that we look at now and think that it does not uphold the dignity of a woman, like having to marry someone who rapes her. Yeah. But, but we didn't, we, right now, we don't understand the marriage context of, of that day. The woman would likely not be able to marry anybody else. And so this gave her economic security and a, a chance to hopefully and possibly make something good out of something bad. Right. 
I, I can't say one way or another. I have I've never lived that. Yeah. Uh, but in in that day and age, God was setting up a protection for women. For women, and that's not just in that one specific law. That's throughout the law. And we also see Jesus whenever he's dealing with the issue of divorce. He says, "Moses was dealing with your hard heart." <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to be. Right. And he points back to Adam and Eve. That's not how it's supposed to be. But Moses was dealing with how terrible people y'all are. Right. And just making the best case out of the worst case. And I, I think that's that can be applied to other laws like that as well. So even before we jump to the New Testament, you're going through your uh, yearly Bible reading and you're hitting a bunch of the laws in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And some of those may, on the outset, seem misogynist, but that's we're coming from thousands of years of, and, and also post-resurrection uh, yeah. as well, and, and what Christ has done for the value of women in culture and uh, even theologically, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of deal with that yeah. because that's where a lot of the questions first pop up. Sure. Particularly when you're... But, you know, it's interesting Bible. even there in those those first five books, and I can't, I don't, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly where it is, but the daughters of Zelophehad, I think that's how yeah. you say his name. And so we have these laws, but then you had this very vivid opportunity to put this into play that are women significant. And these women who were not supposed to have property rights are given property rights. Yeah. So God, God is constantly, and as you keep reading through, and of course, you know there are people like Deborah and um, you know Ruth and so forth. These these women that keep popping up in this scriptural story, it's a pretty remarkable um, uh, picture that's given there, particularly when you do compare it to other ancient texts. I mean, you go pick up the Odyssey, women, you know, they have some role, but it's totally secondary they are not even really part of the the sweep of uh, of that story so and, and just ahead. another note on that god deals with people in their own culture yes and and so he wasn't you know because the whole issue of slavery comes up whenever you're looking at old testament law and, and there's like a thousand other issues that right come up when you're looking at old testament law but people deal god deals with people where they are right and that's what he was doing now uh, again, I think we can look at that, and there's good wisdom there. But it doesn't. That's the Old Testament law isn't how we live yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Right. And so we think that the New Testament gives us a, a even more uh, as far as practice within the church, and also additional lives clarity within our family. Yeah. As well. So, well, before we jump to the New Testament, though, okay. just to kind of fast forward through some other Old Testament notables, oh, yeah. one of my favorite moments is at the end of the Job, book of Job mm-hmm. where he is being restored and God is restoring his fortunes and he restores his family. He lost ten children. And it says that he had the seven sons, but it only names the three daughters. Hmm. And I've always been fascinated by that. And as a dad of a daughter, I get it. Yeah. That the blessing... You're welcome, Joanna. I do love you, dear. Um, <laughs> and, and I love Clayton and Jeremy, too. But uh, but the blessing of a daughter is unique for a father. Yeah. And they are the only ones that are given names in that moment. And then another moment that always comes to mind is the Proverbs 31 thing. Here is this glorification, this uh, you know, um, beautiful language that's surrounding a wife, a woman, 
why, why are we doing this in an ancient culture? Well, it's because God has has put this into place for uh, them. So I, I think there there is ample evidence to say, no, God is anything but a misogynist. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes as you were referencing, that culture does come through that, you know, that role of women, they were belittled or they were not considered serious or whatever. Uh, and we still face that in our day and age. But uh, uh, I think God has a different opinion of that. So okay, well, so let's get to the New Testament. Yeah, then. let's get to the New Testament, <laughs> and, and let's start where the New Testament starts. Let's talk about Jesus and women. Okay, so what were probably as you're reading through the Gospels, what are some surprising moments uh, in Jesus? Rahab ministry? and Tamar. <laughs> yeah, Matthew one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, these so women who not only are not Jews, Jews. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Bathsheba too. Not only you know two out of the three, not only Jews, but they are Jews of questionable reputation yeah. uh, or people of re- questionable reputation but they're included in the genealogy of Jesus now, there's an interesting moment yeah I think that's huge I, I, you better believe it is and then you because you didn't trace genealogy through no, mom no you didn't I mean it's even Joseph who was you know yeah he was son of Joseph you know that's where it goes so it's it's an interesting moment there in Matthew 1 right from the get go yeah. I think we have this reassertion of this isn't a man's story. This is more to this. Yeah, and just in that same chapter, you have Mary show up. Yep. And now we as Protestants uh, do not uphold Mary as our uh, Catholic friends do. But I think sometimes we, in, in uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, just contradistinction from them, we go maybe a little too far from yes. not acknowledging what, huge of a role she played right and and not only in the birth of jesus but she shows up in the upper room yeah in acts so i mean she's she shows up at the the cross and she's at the upper room in acts and so she is all throughout jesus's ministry uh and there's uh, you know we can go into that but uh, some other instances oh well throughout the you know there's the, the woman with the issue of blood you know he doesn't disdain her you know even the the Syrophoenician woman who you know he chastises you know you don't give bread to the children to the the dogs and she says well even the dogs get the crumbs and Jesus honors that you know he he listens faith has been found in Israel yeah isn't that incredible you know and he he says this of a woman uh you know and and over and over again you know the the woman at the well you know the Samaritan woman um you know there are so many instances of Jesus's ministry where he highlights and, you know, the woman who anoints his feet. Boy, there's a whole in- interesting thing that you probably have some uh, some insight to just because of your doctoral studies on this whole priestly sort of thing. But that's a priestly act that she does. Yeah, she anointed. Yeah. yeah. And women didn't do priestly things, but here she is. And Jesus says her story will be told from now on. Yeah. Hey. Wake up, guys! You know this is what's going on. I mean, so there. I mean, there are just myriads of of uh, uh, of examples there, there, and even amongst his followers. I know the twelve that are always named are all men, but there are also the women that are mentioned that are in that entourage, if you will, that are mm-hmm. part of this story. You know, Joanna and Mary and so forth. Uh, Solomon. Yeah, Solomon. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they are. are key parts of ministry they're they're considered obviously partners in what he's doing um that 
that raised some eyebrows amongst um, you know the Pharisees and others. Um, and you know, to any first century reader uh, of that, that would have been a little startling for most, I would think. Yeah. Uh, so, what about the resurrection? You have, you have this instance where well you know here here is a wonderful thing that's, that's so fascinating I, I gosh 10 years ago I was part of a, a good Friday service and I had seven minutes or five minutes to talk about and I, my task was the women at the tomb and I just started looking back at it and I my the theme for my little snippet my my thought was thank God for the women they are the last ones at the cross. Mm-hmm. They're the first ones at the tomb. They're the first ones to see the resurrected Jesus. And they are the first ones, Mary and Joanna and Mary Magdalene, are the first ones given the task of sharing the good news that Jesus had risen from the, t- from the dead. Yeah. They, the women, were the apostles to the apostles. Mm. What do we do with that, guys? Yeah. I, 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 that's one of those... Uh, Answers I don't have right, right. now yeah. <laughs> that, that I'm still working through. Uh, but, yeah, there's been much made of that resurrection scene, mainly because women's witness in that day and age was no good in court. Right. Uh, a woman couldn't even testify in court, but Jesus says, you can testify about me. Mm-hmm. And so there's, uh, at, the, at the very least, just this upholding of the dignity of a woman and her word uh, to be able to, to, to spread the gospel. And I think that goes back, I think, in that moment, particularly in that resurrection moment, that Jesus is reaching back to that pre-fall moment to say, yes, you were created with this in mind. Yep. And here we are. Yeah. All right, so early church, book of Acts. There are some women that show up in Acts, and there are some uh, women that Paul deals with in, in his letters. Uh, and so let's, let's not to move on from Jesus. Sure, sure. That's, no, no, that's, that's good. not what I mean, but, but move, continue our, our walk through Scripture. Uh, Book of Acts, are there some women that, that pop up there that catch our attention? Well, you've already mentioned Mary in the upper room. We've got yeah, her there. Yeah. Well, one of the, I think the, the thing that sticks out in my mind most is, is when we're introduced to Saul, uh, who becomes Paul. He is, going, and they are, he is arresting men and women, mm-hmm. uh, putting men and women to death. The only reasonable explanation for that is that women were viewed as leaders and influencers in the church. Why would you do that otherwise? Even today, in Middle East conflicts, women are seen as really non non issues. They're they're able to go to you know the markets and those kinds of things because they're not part of this. You know that's just part of that continuing cultural role that's that's there. Um, but here we have in the book of Acts, they are putting to death women right alongside men. They are seeking to arrest women right alongside men. Why? Well, obviously they were seen as people with influence, people yeah. that had leadership uh, within the church. And we've seen that in our Cloud of Witness series. Yep. You know, just about every woman we've talked about has been a martyr right? Uh, and, and dying for her faith. Uh, you, you also have some thoughts on uh, Priscilla and Aquila. I do. Uh, would you like to? Sure, I will. You know, I, sometimes I do get the question about what do I think about you know women as pastors and that sort of thing. And, and uh, do I think that there is a place? Perhaps yes. And we've had you know uh, United Methodist Church 
uh, ordains women, and there have been times where you know Misty Barnett, who was the the uh, Barrett, excuse me, uh, was the pastor over there, and she's preached in our pulpit before. Um, do I think it should is normative? I started to say should be. I don't know. I, I I wrestle with this, but for me, the the normative standard is the the Priscilla and Aquila story. When we first meet Priscilla and Aquila in Acts, it is Priscilla and Aquila, and scripturally. Order of names has importance. For instance, go back to the disciples. When you read those lists, it's almost always Peter, James, and John, and then Andrew, Nathaniel, whoever. Peter and James and John are always mentioned among the first ones because they were the inner circle of the inner circle, if you will. So those naming orders have importance. Same sort of thing with Priscilla and Aquila. We meet them, and it's Priscilla, the wife, and Aquila, the husband. Well, at some point in that story, and I didn't go back and look it up, but there's a moment where there's a shift, and from then on, it's Aquila and Priscilla. I take from that. Now, this is me putting my interpretive lens on this, okay? granted, but this is what it looks like to me, is that in the early part of their relationship with Christ and their involvement in the church, that Priscilla was the one that was in lead. She was the one who had the perhaps the knowledge or the, you know, whatever to uh, to give that leadership. But there was a moment when Aquila had matured and he steps into leadership. And it's not, okay, I've arrived, so Priscilla, you go over there and sit in the corner. It was, again, going back to that pre-fall kind of moment that here we are, we're in partnership yeah. and walking together. So I take from that that, when there is not a qualified man, yeah, if there's a woman, I mean, again, thank God for the women. Where, where would we be? That's why we get to the Lottie Moon Christmas song. <laughs> there's a whole other topic that we need to get to. But <laughs> anyway, but, but when and if a man comes into that maturity and is able to give that leadership, I think it is part of that created plan that that man has some role of leadership, and it's not this you're under my thumb and you got to go over here and do what I say, but it's that caring and nurturing, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, uh, kind of uh, of role that that a man should play in that in yeah. that place, and we don't sense, of course, we don't have you know all the background there, but there doesn't seem to be any tension about this transition that occurs. It's just the natural course as Aquila matures that Priscilla step, steps back is the wrong term, but allows Aquila to step forward perhaps is the, the better term yep. um, there. So we would say, I, I say we, I would say, John, that looking at Genesis, going back to Genesis, uh, we're created with equal worth. Mm-hmm. Male and female, Absolutely. he created them in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. So we're, we both have, uh, male and female are created in the image of God, so there's no hierarchy in that sense. But would you say, and uh, I, I would say this, but would you say that we're equal but have different roles? Absolutely. Okay, so... Uh, one of the things that gets brought up quite a bit is First Corinthians 11, where he says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so what do we, what do, we do with a passage like that where you have 
husband and wife kind of grouped together in one sense. And then you have Christ and God grouped together in another sense. But there is a head of one and the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what does that tell us about our role? When I say our role, uh, we're men sitting right. here. Uh, our role with our wives and, and other women. You're asking the great Trinity question. What is that relationship <laughs> of God as head of Christ? You know, Christ humbles himself, becomes obedient to God. But is he less than God? No, no. not at all. Um, in fact, God delights in his son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. You know, it is... And so I think reflecting that, and this is another, this again, this is one of the things with marriage. I think that in Christian marriage, we have that opportunity to become those eighth day believers. That we have an opportunity to, if you will, to recreate and to to regenerate what God originally intended, imperfectly. But that's where we're headed. That that it's not that I am the head and you're going to do what I say. It's I have responsibility to you. Mm. To care for you, to love you, to to you know provide all of those kinds of things, and yet the whole role thing, you know, that gets overplayed in so many ways. Yeah, are we talking about like leave it to Beaver mom type right. roles, or yeah. and and that's where I think for me I'm not super clear in my uh, my practice of theology. You know, I, I I'm I'm and maybe it's a, a good thing I'm not hard set on here are the the set of roles right. that a woman should have. A woman should always be at home and never should work. I, I, no. Thankfully, uh, my wife works. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, Proverbs uh, 31 woman works too. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there's, there's throughout church history, there have been different traditions that have said, this is the role of a man and this is the role of a woman. Right. And a lot of those tend to go outside of Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, we become pharisaical at that point to where we're just adding stuff to Scripture to try to be obedient to Scripture. I, I, I think a lot of the people, not all, but a lot of people who do things like that are trying to be faithful to their interpretation of Scripture. But I, I think sometimes that can just be overbearing not only for women but also for men mm-hmm. in understanding what our roles are in this. And a lot of this that has has resulted, unfortunately, tragically, in, in abuse situations with that in the name of Christ, uh, where men have said, I'm the head, and you be submissive, and that's sort of, and, and, and those are the right roles, you know, and it's this very authoritarian. Again, that is not grasping, I think, the heart of this, that it is, we're in this, to get, again, to reflect that relationship that God and Christ have. Yes, God, the Father, is the head, but it is not that he is somehow greater than Christ because Christ is God in flesh yeah. but it's it's this beautiful you know to, to use one of the theological terms that's out there is this beautiful complementary uh, complementary relationship mm-hmm. um, you know uh, and you know, in my own marriage just to you know bring that forward you know if you hang around Vanessa very long you will understand that she is no doormat there is no yeah. uh, you know she will speak her mind, but at the end of the day, as we walk through these things, and if there are serious issues that we're facing and those kinds of things, she will speak her mind. But she says, "I trust you. I trust you to make these decisions." Because you know, she says, "You have that responsibility to make that decision." It gets heavy sometimes as a, yeah. as a man, but you know that is part of this 
this role. And that's in essence, to, to reflect again back on the gospel, that in essence is what Jesus is saying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours. I, I trust you here. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge challenge uh, for us. John, we're at 30 minutes. We're not done, though. We're not done. Because so let me, let me give you this. I was going to say, what all else do you want to talk about? Well, one of the interesting things, and it's really a frustrating thing with some of the translations that are there, is how they deal with Romans 16, Phoebe, and again, talking about order, names that get ordered, and that list of all these names of the church people that he wants to acknowledge, Phoebe is first. She's preeminent in this. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. And in the ESV, which I, I love the ESV, I'm grateful for it, but this is a translation moment that I just really have some issues with. They call her a servant of the church, which is an accurate translation of the word, except every other time it happens in the masculine, it's translated as deacon. I say every other time. Let me back that up. It may, most other times it just refers to deacon. Yeah. She's a deaconess, obviously, of the church. And throughout the early church, apostolic chronicles and those kinds of things speak of deaconesses, people with, women with authority roles in the church. Fascinating that the ESV chose to, uh, to do that uh, in, a, in a different way. Uh, then you have this whole issue of, in verse 7 of Juniah, in the ESV they do make that feminine, but some translations make that masculine. There's no exegetical reason, uh, no textual reason to make that a masculine. It's, it's evidently a feminine name that's there, who was an apostle, apparently, uh, along with Andronicus, I think, is uh, the one that's paired with her. Um, what do you do with those? Uh, it's an interesting thing. And then the First Timothy 3, verse 11, that we deal with, you know, he's talking about deacons, and verse 11 is generally translated as wives, the word is good night because it's just women. And if you read it in the context, it's it's more of Paul addressing men leaders and women. Likewise, women, you be respectable, just like men are if you're in a leadership position. Yeah. So there are a lot of issues that we have allowed our cultural lens um, to influence that. And I think some of this, Josh, and this is, again, I, I don't have, I haven't done any, you know, hard study on this. This is just observation. That some of this is pushback against what we see this this blurring of of lines of, you know, it doesn't matter what you are. You just be what you want to be and that sort of thing. And so there's been some pushback to no, there is clearly a role for men and clearly a role for women. And I think it is an overreaction in some ways. Where I believe in the church and my goodness I mean, just look around Salon. Again, thank God for the women. Yes. Yes. And should we do more to acknowledge them? Yes. But are we doing a fair job? I think so. I mean, it's interesting. In our 200th, and this was not by design. It was just kind of how it happened. But we've had Jennifer Rash. Next month, we've got Lonette Berg. In September, we'll have um, uh, Elizabeth Wells, uh, you know, three women that are going to preach from our pulpit. Um, I'm so grateful for the teaching ministry that Dr. Stephanie Peake has. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting, within our association of churches, right here locally, there are churches that would not allow Stephanie Peake to teach a Sunday school class because it has men in it. Yeah. 
I, 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 I've got issues there, and I think we have some biblical issues there. I, I hear what these guys are saying. I just think they're missing the larger biblical. I mean, you know, here we are. We've taken the, the flying tour from Old Testament through New Testament to all these places that the Bible is elevating women. And, and then we're going to come alongside and say, no, because there's a man in the room. You can't sit. You can't talk. And we haven't even talked about Lottie Moon. I mean, here we are, Southern Baptists, having this conversation. And our two missions offerings are Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. Oh, and our state missions offering is Myers, Martha Myers, and Kathleen Mallory. Yeah. All these women with missions. And Lottie famously said, okay, you don't want me to teach men. Send me some men to teach the men. Yeah. What are we going to do? I think that's one of those Priscilla moments where she's saying, if you'll send me an Aquila, I will gladly let you take that on. You know, But in, until such time, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. Yeah. Let's press on. I think that's good. Uh, so yeah, I'm probably all in, in all kinds of trouble. I'm going to get kicked out of all kinds of Baptist circles. And, <laughs> No, uh, I, I don't think so, but uh, there are uh, several passages that we can deal with uh, just for people to be aware of some of the controversial passages. Mm. Uh, you got, uh, and I would, uh, would send in more questions about those <laughs> particular ones. But, Please don't. Uh, no, I'm kidding. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1 Corinthians 14, uh some issues in Ephesians 5. Uh, I don't think that's terribly controversial, but uh, some people think so. You got uh, 1 Timothy 2, and then uh, some of the issues in 1 Timothy 3. Are Those are kind of the, the New Testament passages that people go to, and uh, those are the ones that a lot of articles have been written on. Uh, and so you can find resources on all of those. I would recommend uh, maybe a... a rather than just a, an article maybe looking at a commentary so you kind of because they'll pick up the, the context of the whole instead of just trying to focus in on that one little bit um, but yeah these are important questions because I don't know the percentage of women in our church like as opposed to men what the percentage is uh, I'm not going to pull that it's, one out of my head I would say it's there's fair, more I, I, I'd say it's fairly close right. I, I, I believe there's more uh, I think you're right there, but I, I think it's pretty close. And uh, we need to be able to unapologetically uphold and champion the women in our church Absolutely. without caveats. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And, and to all you women who are listening, let me just say, as your pastor, thank you. Thank you for how you're growing uh, I had opportunity last night. In fact, I was visiting with a church member in crisis, and while I was there, one of the women of our church called her. Yeah. And I, I, it was just a moment of gratitude to God for maturing women who are investing in each other and investing in whomever in the life of our church. Uh, thank you for all that you do, and we want to find, continue to find ways to affirm you and say, yes, if God's calling you, let's find ways to put you to work. Yep. That's all I got, John. We got more, but we yeah. We, I mean, I got more. We probably ought to drop this hot it. potato. <laughs> <laughs> and this may end up being a, another issue that we circle back sure. to, or something like that. But uh, John, that's generally all of our questions that we've gotten in. Good deal. Uh, I will gladly pick up some more. <laughs> uh, we'll pick up some more if some sure. come in. Uh, but those are those hit the big ones. Yeah. Uh, the big categories that that we had. 
Uh, and so uh, we haven't even talked about where we're going next, uh, but be on the lookout for a new series starting soon. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll jump into that very soon. Thank but you. Thank you all for joining us. And sorry it, was, <laughs> it took so long to get this out, but we're so excited to be back with you all. Absolutely. We are. Thank you all so much.